Hello and good evening to Education Needs a Champion. My name is Larry Davis. I am a man of God. I'm a father and I'm an educator. My why is to, I wake up every morning with the belief that I can create an education system where every child will enjoy an education where their care, their learning, their unique individual talents are the focus of every educator, teacher, and administrator, where we champion every parent, every teacher, educator, and administrator to do more to increase our student success, to do more to grow and support our teachers, and to do more to help schools realize their mission and vision. Welcome to Education Needs a Champion, because our children deserve one. What does it mean to be a champion? Stand tall and hold your head high. Make the rooftop break, aiming for the sky. Might not have it yet, but success is in my side. Can education get a champion? Cause nowadays we treat it like a common cold. Catch it if you can, but you're happy if you don't. Why are we so okay with that story? Education needs a champion. Mr. Davis, can you be him? Show him how to lead the pavement. Can you teach him? Mold him into something greater. Give him freedom. All we need is education. It's the secret. A lot of love, love schools don't always love us. No, they don't. Education needs a champion. Our children deserve one. Welcome back to Education Needs a Champion. And our children deserve one. I want to start this episode with a poem from my son. What does it mean to be a champion? Standing tall for those who fall, uplifting the mind, paving the way for those to shine. Education needs a champion, inspiring the defiant, motivating the difficult, redirecting the disruptive, providing discipline for the disrespectful. Education needs a champion. A person who goes above and beyond, educating the mind, speaking words of affirmation, carrying on the belief that we all have a destination. Education needs a champion and our children deserve one. You know, it's amazing. My son is a college graduate. He's starting his professional career. And he and I speak about uh, my job and about education, about my beliefs and my challenges. And uh, I never, never really knew that he felt that way about what I was doing or even paid that much attention to it. That poem says it all, and I wanted to honor him by reading it here today. So I want to say thank you to my son, Kyla Davis. I want to start this conversation off with two numbers, 6 billion and 250. 6 billion is the estimated additional yearly cost it would take in this country to close the achievement gap. 250 are the number of years it would take to close the achievement gap in this country, given our current efforts. $6 billion, let's think about that. This is based on the fact that they would give every child an additional $1,000. The problem is if we gave every child an additional $1,000, we would be in the exact same place that we are right now. It would be the same as if we didn't give any child anything extra. We have to make sure that if we're going to spend more money, we spend it in the places with the highest need. 250 years is just far too long for us to wait to have the achievement gap closed in this country. Now, that term achievement gap, where does it come from? Let me share a little knowledge with you on this one. Brown versus Board of Education took place in 1954, and this did away with separate but equal. 
because we knew that the students were separate, but the education facilities, the education level was not equal. So the Supreme Court did away with it in 1954 with Brown versus Board of Education. In 1964, a man named Coleman presented the Coleman Report to Congress. And what he found was there was a learning gap between African-American students or black students at the time and white students. This was the very first time that the term achievement gap was ever used. And that term was used to describe the learning gap between black students and white students. In 2016, there was another report on the achievement gap in America. And guess what it found? This may surprise you. It said that the achievement gap was indeed closing in the United States, but at a rate so slowly that it would take 250 years to do so. I don't know about you, but 250 years is just far, far too long. Let me tell you a little bit about my career path. I was a substitute. I was a teacher. I was an assistant principal, a house principal, a campus principal, a district coordinator for special programs, a district coordinator for school improvement, a district coordinator for AVID, a district coordinator for college career readiness, a regional director for charter schools, and currently executive director of secondary student learning and talent development. So when I talk about the achievement gap, I'm talking about things that I've experienced over 20 plus years of education in various levels. Closing the achievement gap. Can we do it? Yes. Will we do it? No. And the reason I tell you no is this. The students that are being impacted by the achievement gap are the exact, exact same students that are being removed from their educational settings each day. These students are being placed in in-school suspension, out-of-school suspension. They're being sent to alternative discipline centers, and in the worst case scenario, an expulsion away from the school together, altogether. Let's talk about each of these individual settings. In-school suspension. The student is allowed to come to school, but they're placed in one room for the whole duration of the day. They're not allowed to uh, correspond with other students. They're not allowed to uh, move about the hallways. They're all they're in one setting. Lunch is brought to them. Their work is dropped off in the, mail, in the teacher mail room where the ISS teacher then picks it up and disseminates it to each student. The problem is this. In most cases, the in-school suspension teacher is a paraprofessional who's not certified to teach math, science, social studies, or English, and they're definitely not certified to teach a foreign language. So when our students who are in need of help and who are in in-school suspension, they can't get the help from that teacher because that teacher isn't qualified or certified to help them. You may be asking yourself, well, why can't they ask a student? Well, they're not allowed to speak to students in this area, in this uh, in ISS. In fact, they are, they are separated by cubicles where they cannot speak, they cannot interact, and rarely can they get help because when they raise their hand again, that teacher is not certified or qualified to help them in math, social studies, English, science, or a foreign language. 
Let's talk about out-of-school suspension. This is traditionally a three-day stint where a student is being removed from the educational setting for three days and placed in a home setting. Well, we hope that they're at home, but there's parents not being there to supervise them. We have no idea what these, parents, these students are doing during those three days. However, during this th these three days, the student isn't held responsible for making up the work they miss while they're on suspension. And the teachers are not held accountable for reteaching or getting that lost knowledge back to those students. So now we have three days of none, no connection to the school, three days of no learning, three days of none learning, and no system in place to help them recapture those three days of lost learning. We have just widened the achievement gap. Let's talk about alternative discipline centers. Now, these are usually 15 to 90 day placement at these centers. The problem is this. At our alternative discipline centers, these are not the best teachers. In fact, the high school, middle school, and elementary teachers in our alternative centers are usually the teachers that those campuses did not want. But I want to say this before I move on for, further. I have some colleagues who only wish to teach in an alternative discipline center. They want to teach the students who have the achievement gap. They want to teach the students who have behavior problems. This is their purpose. So I don't want to say every teacher in these settings are not equipped, qualified, or effective, because there are some. But the majority of the time, the teachers that we're talking about in our alternative centers, in our alternative settings, are not the best teachers. So now you have a kid or a student who's been in an alternative center for 15 to 90 days. How much learning took place? The campus doesn't call and check. The campus only wants to make sure that the students serve their time and didn't have any other behavioral incidents. After that 15 to 90 day stint, with no behavioral incidents, no absences, no tardies, the student is then coming back to the home campus. The problem is this, we're focusing on the student's behavior, their attendance, and not their learning. I'm not saying the other two aren't important. However, I think the third component should be, has that student been successful in their learning before they're allowed to come back? And we really, we must, we have to staff those schools with the best teachers available. Now, let's talk about expulsions. Now, expulsions can be 30 days all the way up to a year. And I have heard that there's been cases. Now, I've never sat in on one of these or if I've never experienced or seen it firsthand, but I've heard that there have been cases where students have been given a lifetime expulsion from that school or a school district. You're probably thinking if a student has an expulsion, they should just go and enroll at another campus. Well, here's the problem. Most school districts have what is called a continuing discipline policy, which means that that student cannot enroll in that campus until they've served their expulsion time. When a student is going through an expulsion, they are totally disconnected from the school. There is no learning taking place for 30 days, for 60 days, up to a year. When that student comes back, they're placed in the exact same grade they were when they were expulsed, expelled from school. So now we have a 16-year-old sitting in ninth grade 
or a 17-year-old sitting in 10th grade with a year of no learning behind them? How is this closing the achievement gap? More than anything, this is expanding that achievement gap because once these, once the student returns back to our campus, once they have so much learning loss, once they have so much unfinished learning that they feel that they can never catch up, this will do more than just increase the achievement gap. It will increase our dropout levels as well. We have to give our students hope. Now, before I go on from expulsions, I have to say this. Being an educator, there are some times, there are some situations when an expulsion is our only choice. I just think it should not be our first or our second choice. We have to provide interventions for our students to keep them in our buildings. Here's another reason why I think we'll never close the achievement gap, or I know that we'll never close the achievement gap. Let's say there's two schools in our, in our district and both schools have 900 students. If one of those campuses are located in a very affluent area, the students come from affluent homes, the students come from a high socioeconomic background, there's very few English as a second language students there. There are very few special needs populations there. There are very few, if any, students who have been left behind or retained the previous year or prior year attending that school. This school can be staffed with the, with the baseline staffing guidelines from the state. Now let's look at the other school, 900 students. It's in a impoverished area. The parents, the students come from homes that are low socioeconomic. Most of the students are at risk. We have a high population of English as a second language students. We have a high population of special needs students. And we have a high population of students who are retained or students who came to us behind one or two levels in, it, in their education. This campus has to have more funding. This campus requires more teachers. This campus requires more resources, more specialized teachers. You see, this is called equity. And equity is the one thing we cannot afford to cut when we cut our school budgets. Now, you're probably asking yourself, if I can tell you this in a podcast, how does this second school and its needs go unnoticed? How do these things go unaddressed? You're not gonna like my answer, but I'm gonna tell it to you anyway. Historically, these campuses are the schools where parents don't get it, they're not involved because they don't work a eight to four or a nine to five job. They work night shifts, they work overnight, they work evenings. They're not available to volunteer for school events and PTA meetings and they can rarely attend open house, not because they don't care about their child's education, but because they are working. Now, here's the, the nasty fact. These two parents are often categorized as non-supportive parents, parents who don't really care about their child's education. And I have to tell you, this could not be further from the truth. What we could do, or what we should do is this, we should, we should have flexible hours on our campuses where we can keep the school open a few hours later, twice a week. This way, those parents would have an opportunity to come to the school, 
to show their support for their student, to get involved in a school in the school district. But we don't do this. Well, yes, we do. We do this exact same thing for our sports events, for basketball, for volleyball, for football. We keep the building open later. Well, back to why that second school will go unaddressed. And here's the thing that you won't like. Because the person, the, school, the campuses and the areas of the city who need the less, need the least, will complain the loudest. Because the policymakers come from the areas of affluency. Because the school board members don't represent that area. We have to do better by our parents. We have to do better by our students. We have to understand what the achievement gap means, and we have to understand how we can close it. And we have to, we have to, we must avoid cutting equity when we have to cut budgets. Closing the achievement gap. If we have to cut budgets, we cannot cut equity. Every child comes to us with a different learning style, a different learning level, different social emotional needs, different learning barriers. Equity allows schools and districts to allocate funds to, and resources to the schools and the children with the greatest need. This includes placing more experienced and effective teachers in the high need schools. Providing campuses with extended or flexible hours so parents can get involved. Extending the school day so we can extend that student's learning. These are done in addition to what the campuses with no needs or lesser needs have to are doing. It's not done by itself in isolation. We're doing the same thing the other campuses were doing, but these extra funds, these extra resources, these better teachers are able to provide more. This is equity. This is equity at its finest. Every student will have an individual learning plan. Every school should have the autonomy to design an instructional plan to meet the needs of their students and be given the funds to do so. What a novel concept. Can we close the achievement gap? Yes. Will we chose close the achievement gap in America? The answer, my friends, is no. The answer is no because we're never going to spend the money and the resources equitably. Again, the parents who need the least will complain the most and prevent these things from happening. But how could, we, how could we change that mindset? How could we create a new mindset, a new mindscape in an old landscape? We have to elect people to our school boards who will truly represent our districts, who will truly represent the neighborhoods in which they come from. I know that every parent is not going to be able to make it or run for the board, but make sure that you vote or make sure that you vote first and then make sure that your vote is for someone who you know will support and represent your children, represent our children. Yes, I know this sounds like a, a stacked deck and it's definitely stacked in the wrong direction, but it's something we can fix. 
Here's something that has always ranked at the top of my list as why the achievement gap will never be closed. I've been in education over 20 something plus years. And as long as I've been in education, there's a term that is used that has always rubbed me the wrong way. You see, a lot of states refer to our students as subgroups. Let me just say this, no student is subpar or inferior to any other students. The problem is simple, subgroups. What does that mean? We must refer to our students as student groups or student populations, or better yet, why don't we just refer to them as students? But that's not what we do. You see, the reason that we use the term subgroups is to further the achievement gap. When we separate students into these so-called subgroups, we can then show learning differences between the subgroups. And then we can designate which group, subgroup is falling behind. If you're following me, I think you realize this is the term achievement gap personified. You see my friends, this data that is collected is then used and used to send to the state and to the federal government to generate funds for our schools. I know what you're thinking. If this is the case, why aren't these funds being used for those students in those schools that was used to generate those funds? Well, the funds are going to be used to help raise schools and school districts accountability, which is a greater, a greater population, which means if they can show that they increase their accountability, they can say the funds were spent equitably. But those funds are usually spent on the students who are already performing at a higher level. You're probably saying, Larry, what is accountability? Now that's a topic for a whole nother show. And we'll have that, we'll have that show. Because trust me, you're going to enjoy it. But for now, if a school needs to improve their accountability, the first thing they're going to do is look at our subgroups. Let me tell you how that conversation is going to go. The administrator will bring all the teachers in and he'll have the data set up or she'll have the data displayed on, displayed on the walls or on the tables for on the various tables for all the teachers to see. And they'll look and they'll say, in looking at our data, we can see that we could increase our accountability for the campus if our subgroups perform better. If we could get 15% of these students in this specific subgroup to move perform on level, to perform on level, we could exceed the state level performance. From a data perspective, this, this could be true. But from a student learning reality, this action and finding 15% from a specific, <coughs> excuse me, from a specific subgroup is an open admission by the administrators and the teachers that we're willing to sacrifice the other 85% from that subgroup for the sake of our campus success. And what that success is, is merely a facade because we still have students being left behind. We still have an achievement gap. 
and we just perpetuated that achievement gap even further. Condoleezza Rice said, said it best, we should not be able to determine a child's education level based on their zip code. I wanna take it just a little bit further. We should never determine a child's education level based on the color of their skin. But sadly enough, we can go get a map of any city and look at the zip codes and we can circle the areas of our low performing schools. Closing the achievement gap is not impossible. In fact, it's a humanitarian issue that should tug at the heart of every person of all races, all colors, all religions, and all ethnicities. Closing the achievement gap, it will require removing all implicit and explicit biases from each and every educator in our school systems. We have to remember why we do what we do. We have to remember our why. We have to remember our purpose. I wrote in a post once that education isn't an art. Education isn't a craft. It isn't a science. Education is a purpose. And if you are in education and you're not enjoying yourself, do our children a favor. Go find your purpose. It's as simple as that. Here's a story of how and why I became an educator. I was a successful person in the corporate America for 14 years. In 1995, I was about to become a father for the very first time. I knew nothing about the education system, except for what I would see on television from time to time. So I decided to become a substitute and take, you know, work evenings and because I had a flexible schedule, I would work evenings and I would go sub during the day because I want to know, should my child go to public school, private school or parochial school? Charter schools were not on the horizon at that time. So I took the very first substitute job that came my way. It was an elementary school. When I showed up at the elementary school, the principal secretary, the campus secretary, asked me my name, went to hand me a folder, looked down and noticed that the class I was teaching was a Spanish only, a Spanish speaking only first grade class. She took the folder back and said, Mr. Davis, do you speak Spanish? I said, no, ma'am, I don't. She said, well, this is a Spanish speaking only first grade class. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I will gladly go there and substitute until you can find someone to come in and replace me. This way, the children are not sitting there alone. So I went to the classroom and the teacher had left really great notes. And in the notes, she said there was a student there named Maria. Maria spoke English and Spanish. Maria helped me check roll. Maria took us to lunch. She told me when it was time to do reading, when it was time to move to recess, when it was time to go to music and art. About 1230 that day, right after lunch, a parent showed up and that parent was there and she read to the students for the rest of the day. About 2.45 when the bell rang, these students started to walk out the door and they was hugging me and they were saying to me things in Spanish. And I asked the parent, what are they saying? She said, Mr. Davis, they saying, thank you for coming. We had the greatest time. Please come back. We love you so much. Oh, you're so tall. Well, I'm 6'5". And to a first grader that could be so tall. This just tugged at my heart. As I left the building that day, I, got, I called my best friend and I said, listen, 
I just spent seven and a half hours in front of some incredible young kids and I brought no value to them. What if that was my child in that classroom? Not just for seven and a half hours, but for the entire year. I think I want to become a teacher. He laughed and said, I get it. I really do. But Larry, a first year teacher at this time only makes $21,000 a year. You made that in bonus in corporate America last year. Well, it tugged at me. I couldn't let it go. So I continued to sub from 1995 to 1999. And in 1999, I became a certified teacher. And every child that came into my classroom, and every child, and as an administrator, every child who came into my building, I put my child's face on that child. Not the color of my child's skin, but my child's face. And I made sure that every child that I impacted got the education that they deserved. You see, education needs a champion and our children truly deserve one. If you would like to be a part of my podcast in the future, or you would like to be a sponsor of my podcast, please feel free to reach out to me, Larry Davis at 817-793-7074. And again, remember, education needs a champion and our children deserve one. What does it mean to be a champion? Stand tall and hold your head high. Make the rooftop break, aiming for the sky. Might not have it yet, but success is in my side. Can education get a champion? Cause nowadays we treat it like a common cold. Catch it if you can, but you're happy if you don't. Why are we so okay with that story? Education needs a champion. Mr. Davis, can you be him? Show him how to lead the pavement. Can you teach him? Mold him into something greater. Give him freedom. All we need is education. It's the secret. A lot of love, love schools don't always love us. No, they don't. Education needs a champion. Our children deserve one.